Chapter Eight of Domestic Manners of the Americans by Francis Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: Absence of public and private amusement, churches and chapels, influence of the clergy, a revival. I never saw any people who appeared to live so much without amusement as the Cincinnatians. Billiards are forbidden by law, so are cards. To sell a pack of cards in Ohio subjects the seller to a penalty of fifty dollars. They have no public balls, excepting, I think, six during the Christmas holidays. They have no concerts, they have no dinner parties. They have a theatre, which is, in fact, the only public amusement of this triste little town, but they seem to care little about it, and either from economy or distaste it is very poorly attended. Ladies are rarely seen there, and by far the larger proportion of females deem it an offence against religion to witness the representation of a play. It is in the churches and chapels of the town that the ladies are to be seen in full costume, and I am tempted to believe that a stranger from the continent of Europe would be inclined, on first reconnoitring the city, to suppose that the places of worship were the theatres and cafés of the place. No evening in the week but brings throngs of the young and beautiful to the chapels and meeting-houses, all dressed with care, and sometimes with great pretension. It is there that all display is made, and all fashionable distinctions sought. The proportion of gentlemen attending these evening meetings is very small, but often, as might be expected, a sprinkling of smart young clerks make this sedulous display of ribbons and ringlets intelligible and natural. Were it not for the churches, indeed, I think there might be a general bonfire of best bonnets, for I never could discover any other use for them. The ladies are too actively employed in the interior of their houses to permit much parading in full dress for morning visits. There are no public gardens or lounging shops of fashionable resort, and were it not for public worship and private tea-drinkings, all the ladies in Cincinnati would be in danger of becoming perfect recluses. The influence which the ministers of all the innumerable religious sects throughout America have on the females of their respective congregations approaches very nearly to what we read of in Spain or in other strictly Roman Catholic countries. There are many causes for this peculiar influence. Where equality of rank is affectedly acknowledged by the rich and clamorously claimed by the poor, distinction and preeminence are allowed to the clergy only. This gives them high importance in the eyes of the ladies. I think also that it is from the clergy only that the women of America receive that sort of attention which is so dearly valued by every female heart throughout the world. With the priests of America the women hold that degree of influential importance which, in the countries of Europe, is allowed them throughout all orders and ranks of society, except perhaps the very lowest, and in return for this they seem to give their hearts and souls into their keeping. I never saw or read of any country where religion had so strong a hold upon the women, or a slighter hold upon the men. I mean not to assert that I met with no men of sincerely religious feelings, or with no women of no religious feeling at all, but I feel perfectly secure of being correct as to the great majority in the statement I have made. We had not been many months in Cincinnati when our curiosity was excited by hearing the revival talked of by every one we met throughout the town. The revival will be very full. 
we shall be constantly engaged during the revival were the phrases we constantly heard repeated and for a long time without in the least comprehending what was meant but at length i learnt that the unnational church of america required to be roused at regular intervals to greater energy and exertion at these seasons the most enthusiastic of the clergy travel the country and enter the cities and towns by scores or by hundreds as the accommodation of the place may admit and for a week or fortnight or if the population be large for a month they preach and pray all day and often for a considerable portion of the night in the various churches and chapels of the place this is called a revival i took considerable pains to obtain information on this subject but in detailing what i learnt i fear that it is probable i shall be accused of exaggeration all i can do is cautiously to avoid deserving it the subject is highly interesting and it would be a fault of no trifling nature to treat it with levity these itinerant clergymen are of all persuasions i believe except the episcopalian catholic unitarian and quaker i heard of presbyterians of all varieties of baptists of i know not how many divisions and of methodists of more denominations than i can remember whose innumerable shades of varying belief it would require much time to explain and more to comprehend they enter all the cities towns and villages of the union in succession i could not learn with sufficient certainty to repeat what the interval generally is between their visits these itinerants are for the most part lodged in the houses of their respective followers and every evening that is not spent in the churches and meeting-houses is devoted to what would be called parties by others but which they designate as prayer-meetings here they eat drink pray sing hear confessions and make converts to these meetings i never got invited and therefore i have nothing but hearsay evidence to offer but my information comes from an eye-witness and one on whom i believe i may depend if one half of what i heard may be believed these social prayer-meetings are by no means the most curious or the least important part of the business it is impossible not to smile at the close resemblance to be traced between the feelings of a first-rate presbyterian or methodist lady fortunate enough to have secured a favourite itinerant for her meeting and those of a first-rate london blue equally blessed in the presence of a fashionable poet there is a strong family likeness among us all the world over the best rooms the best dresses the choicest refreshments solemnize the meeting while the party is assembling the lodestar of the hour is occupied in whispering conversations with the guests as they arrive they are called brothers and sisters and the greetings are very affectionate when the room is full the company of whom a vast majority are always women are invited entreated and coaxed to confess before their brothers and sisters all their thoughts faults and follies these confessions are strange scenes the more they confess the more invariably are they encouraged and caressed when this is over they all kneel and the itinerant prays extempore then they eat and drink and then they sing hymns pray exhort sing and pray again till the excitement reaches a very high pitch indeed these scenes are going on at some house or other every evening during the revival 
nay, at many at the same time, for the churches and meeting-houses cannot give occupation to half the itinerants, though they are all open throughout the day until a late hour in the night, and the officiating ministers succeed each other in the occupation of them. It was at the principle of the Presbyterian churches that I was twice witness to scenes that made me shudder. In describing one, I describe both and every one. The same thing is constantly repeated. It was in the middle of the summer, but the service we were recommended to attend did not begin till it was dark. The church was well lighted, and crowded almost to suffocation. On entering we found three priests standing side by side, in a sort of tribune, placed where the altar usually is, handsomely fitted up with crimson curtains, and elevated about as high as our pulpits. We took our places in a pew close to the rail which surrounded it. The priest who stood in the middle was praying. The prayer was extravagantly vehement, and offensively familiar in expression. When this ended, a hymn was sung, and then another priest took the centre place and preached. The sermon had considerable eloquence, but of a frightful kind. The preacher described with ghastly minuteness the last feeble fainting moments of human life, and then the gradual progress of decay after death, which he followed through every process up to the last loathsome stage of decomposition. Suddenly changing his tone, which had been that of sober, accurate description, into the shrill voice of horror, he bent forward his head, as if to gaze on some object beneath the pulpit. And, as Rebecca made known to Ivanhoe what she saw through the window, so the preacher made known to us what he saw in the pit that seemed to open before him. The device was certainly a happy one, for giving effect to his description of hell. No image that fire, flame, brimstone, molten lead, or red-hot pincers could supply, with flesh, nerves, and sinews quivering under them, was omitted. The perspiration ran in streams from the face of the preacher, his eyes rolled, his lips were covered with foam, and every feature had the deep expression of horror it would have borne, had he, in truth, been gazing at the scene he described. The acting was excellent. At length he gave a languishing look to his supporters on either side, as if to express his feeble state, and then sat down and wiped the drops of agony from his brow. The two other priests arose and began to sing a hymn. It was some seconds before the congregation could join as usual. Every upturned face looked pale and horror-struck. When the singing ended, another took the centre place, and began, in a sort of a coaxing, affectionate tone, to ask the congregation if what their dear brother had spoken had reached their hearts, whether they would avoid the hell he had made them see. "'Come, then,' he continued, stretching out his arms towards them. Come to us, and tell us so, and we will make you see Jesus, the dear, gentle Jesus, who shall save you from it. But you must come to him, you must not be ashamed to come to him. This night you shall tell him that you are not ashamed of him. We will make way for you, we will clear the bench for anxious sinners to sit upon. Come, then, come to the anxious bench, and we will show you Jesus. Come, come, come. Again a hymn was sung, and while it continued, one of the three was employed in clearing one or two long benches that went across the rail, sending the people back to the lower part of the church. The singing ceased, and again the people were invited and exhorted not to be ashamed of Jesus, but to put themselves upon the anxious benches, 
and lay their heads on his bosom. Once more we will sing, he concluded, that we may give you time, and again they sung a hymn. And now, in every part of the church, a movement was perceptible, slight at first, but by degrees becoming more decided. Young girls arose and sat down and rose again, and then the pews opened and several came tottering out, their hands clasped, their heads hanging on their bosoms, and every limb trembling, and still the hymn went on, but as the poor creatures approached the rail, their sobs and groans became audible. They seated themselves on the anxious benches. The hymn ceased, and two of the three priests walked down from the tribune, and going one to the right and the other to the left, began whispering to the poor tremblers seated there. These whispers were inaudible to us, but the sobs and groans increased to a frightful excess. Young creatures, with features pale and distorted, fell on their knees on the pavement, and soon sunk forward on their faces. The most violent cries and shrieks followed, while from time to time a voice was heard in convulsive accents, exclaiming, O Lord! O Lord Jesus! Help me, Jesus! and the like. Meanwhile the two priests continued to walk among them. They repeatedly mounted on the benches, and trumpet-mouthed proclaimed to the whole congregation the tidings of salvation, and then from every corner of the building arose in reply short, sharp cries of Amen! Glory! Amen! while the prostrate penitents continued to receive whispered comfortings, and from time to time a mystic caress. More than once I saw a young neck encircled by a reverend arm. Violent hysterics and convulsions seized many of them, and when the tumult was at its highest, the priest who remained above again gave out a hymn as if to drown it. It was a frightful sight to behold innocent young creatures in the gay morning of existence, thus seized upon, horror-struck, and rendered feeble and enervated for ever. One young girl, apparently not more than fourteen, was supported in the arms of another, some years older. Her face was pale as death, her eyes wide open, and perfectly devoid of meaning, her chin and bosom wet with slaver. She had every appearance of idiotism. I saw a priest approach her. He took her delicate hand. "'Jesus is with her. Bless the Lord,' he said, and passed on. Did the men of America value their women as men ought to value their wives and daughters? Would such scenes be permitted among them? It is hardly necessary to say that all who obeyed the call to place themselves on the anxious benches were women, and by far the greater number very young women. The congregation was, in general, extremely well-dressed, and the smartest and most fashionable ladies of the town were there. During the whole revival the churches and meeting-houses were every day crowded with well-dressed people. It is thus the ladies of Cincinnati amuse themselves. To attend the theatre is forbidden, to play cards is unlawful, but they work hard in their families and must have some relaxation. For myself, I confess that I think the coarsest comedy ever written would be a less detestable exhibition for the eyes of youth and innocence than such a scene. End of chapter 8